Our New Testament scripture is Philippians 3, the third through the 14th verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. For as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God words for God people, and God's people said amen. It's quite amazing what I think about sticks with me as I remember my childhood I can remember being four years old in an apartment complex in Freeport, Illinois, right off of Sierra Drive, and my mother opening up a book for me. It was orange and blue, and it had a little train on it, and it was called The Little Engine That Could. It's one of my favorite stories about a little engine that had to do the work of a big engine. It's been around for a while. When I was researching the story for the sermon, I found out that this book was written in 1930. But it's lasted pretty long for a children's book. And when the little engine that could thought it was going up a hill that it almost could not make, it told itself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And it went up the hill. And I kept that story with me whenever I was coming across something I thought that was hard. I could remember, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And I'd be able to do it. When they poll successful people in life, be it music or business or the arts or everything that they, they begin to do, there are two things that I've noticed about everybody that is successful or has some sort of modicum of success in everything that they do, number one, they think they can do it. They visualize themselves attaining the goal. And the other thing they do is they press on. They're willing to work 
harder than anybody else. They're willing to spend the time in the film room. One of the greatest quarterbacks in the game just retired, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was not very fast. Peyton Manning was not very strong. Peyton Manning lacked a lot of things that some naturally gifted athletes had, but he said in his retirement speech, you would never be able to out-prepare me. One of my favorite producers by the name of Leon Lewis often says he's not the best piano player he knows. He's not the best organist. He's not the best musician at all. But he says, you're never going to outwork me. So there's got to be something about that, about pressing on and continuing to work towards something as opposed to thinking that you have arrived. And so that's where we come to when we have uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi in this book of Philippians. He's telling them to keep trying, keep pressing on. Don't think you have arrived. There's always a better goal to work towards. And in the text, he talks about giving up things that he has become to become a child of God, to become a believer in the way to become what we would call a Christian now. And he gave up a lot. He had this pedigree, this lineage, this name, this birthright. And not only did he have this birthright based on his lineage, he also had attained things on, through work. So here he was. He was prestigious amongst the Jews, circumcised on the eighth day. The, eight, the, the number eight has a great significance in the Bible because eight is supposed to be the number of new beginnings. That is why many of our baptismal fonts will have eight sides around them because God created the earth in seven days and us walking into this newness in Christ is eight. So we're coming in on the, our baptism is sort of the eighth day. We're bringing in these new things. And here he was circumcised on the eighth day and he came from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, the tribes of Israel all have their certain things, and you know Reuben was known for praise, and the Levi beca- Levites became the ones who were the, the priesthood, but Benjamin was supposed to be a prestigious tribe. And here he was from the tribe of Bring- Benjamin. And then he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, the Hebrews already had a certain special standing amongst each other, but he had a special standing amongst those who had special standing. And when it came to learning the law, he was a Pharisee, which means he had spent enough time to be the equivalent of an attorney during that time. He had learned everything, but he still gave it up. And when this random prophet came around out of Nazareth and started getting people to go away from the law, he was so zealous. He was so energetic. He was so hard about keeping this thing that he would go into churches and kill them. Because they were not following the law properly. He thought he was doing right. And you can read in Acts 1 and Corinthians and Galatians, the Bible will tell you just how zealous this man named Saul was persecuting the church. So whenever he did something, he went full bore. There was no lukewarm about it. He was all in had the right family, had the right pedigree, had the right education, did the right things, had accomplished the right things. And not only that, he was a Roman citizen. So if he wanted to just leave this whole thing alone and be a citizen of Rome, he could have did that himself too. 
He had status. That's what I'm saying. He had status and then he had the credentials. Even if he didn't have the status, he had the credentials and the ability to go get the status even even after he'd lost it. So he wasn't just walking into this. And then the text says he was faultless. Some translations say blameless to the law. But this blameless does not mean sinless in the terms that we take. When, 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 they, when you research it and break it down, it's more of a being faithful and obedient and being loyal to the law. And because of this fidelity that he had to the law, because of this loyalty that he had to the law, because of this, this status he had, because of this education that he had, because of this citizenship that he had, he was confident in everything that he was doing. So there was a cost. There was a cost to everything that, that, that the Apostle Paul had gave up. But along with that cost, there was a catch. Let the church say catch. Paul gave up all of this. He gave up all of these things, not because that he, he's saying it not to say that, they're, that, that, that it's just bad to have those things. He's putting it out there to understand just how much more valuable he thought the knowledge of Christ was. Paul was thinking about how obedient he was to the law and persecuting others for breaking it. He gained a lot. He thought what he was doing was right. And, 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 and that made it much more important when he gave it up. Because, see, it was one thing for a Gentile to follow Christ. See, when, when, when Jesus came around here, he was turning over what they call social codes. You had to be wherever you was born and who your family was and certain things. They had a status. And so most of the time, wherever you was born at, that's pretty much where you stayed at for the rest of your life. So if your mama and daddy was poor, you was going to be poor the rest of your life. If your mama and daddy was a slave, guess what? You was probably going to be a slave. So here comes this man, Jesus, talking about God not being a respecter of persons, and people got elevated. So if you were a slave during that time, you could be free. If you were a woman during that time, you could have some elevation of status. He was turning these social codes on itself. So it was good for everybody else to come to Jesus because that was a promotion of sorts. But here you have somebody giving all of that up. Those who were poor could be treated on the same level as those who were rich in the way. Paul had more to lose, but he gave it up freely. Because those were all sources of self-confidence, but he didn't want that self-confidence. He wanted the confidence in Christ. So he freely gives it up. And he says that he regards it as garbage. Ah. Some translations say rubbish. Some translations say trash. But I would submit to you that that is not a very literal translation of the text. Ah, The word that he used in the text in the Greek actually means refuge, dung, waste, particularly that of a bovine nature. The uh, Houston Livestock and Rodeo is going on just up the road. You can find exactly what he thought all of that stuff to mean compared to Christ in the bullpen. 
That's how lowly he thought it was compared to Christ. This is what Jesus, this is what Paul thought about everything that he had gained from Jesus. I mean, everything that he had gained compared to Jesus, rather. So he had a cost. He gave it up, and there was a catch to giving up this cost, but then he got the crown. Let the church say crown. It's a new righteousness. Uh, the, the text says in verse 9, he says, to be found in him having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not, not, uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, rather, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. And then verse 10, he talks about, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his suffering and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's very, Paul was not Methodist. Paul was not Wesleyan, but that is something that is very Wesleyan. Uh, verse 9 speaks of that justification. You know, we as Methodists believe in uh, different kinds of grace. We have the provenient grace, the before you were in the womb, I knew you before I formed you. That's God covering you when you ain't got sense enough to understand what's going on yourself. That's that provenient grace. And then when you decide to come into the knowledge of Jesus, that moment is the justification. It's the making right. That's that justifying grace. And then once you get into Jesus, there's some stuff you got to do to keep with Jesus. There's that sanctifying grace. And then going on in verse uh, 11, the glorification. It's kind of like going into a house. Uh, that provenient grace is when you walk up to a house and it's raining like it was all week in Dallas. And you step up under the porch. You have all of, the, you have a, a, not all, but a portion of the protection of the house. It's, that porch is keeping you under the elements, amen? Out from the elements. It's, it's sheltering you from the rain because you're under the porch. And then when you step through the door, to go into the house, that moment that you step through the door, that's the justification. That's the being made right. You get into the house. And then when you come into the house, there are some rules you'll have to follow. Some people have different things. They don't like you going certain places without permission. Some people like you to take your shoes off when you're in the house. Some people want you to act a certain way when you are in their house and it's their house. And that's their rules. So that's that sanctification. But the great thing about the sanctification is, is once you get into the house, you don't need all the same stuff you needed on the outside. See, if it's raining, you might need an umbrella. You might need the raincoat. You might need certain things to try to protect you from those elements. But when you come into the house, you don't need an umbrella anymore. You don't need those elements to protect you. You don't need the things to protect you from the elements. You're covered, and you no longer need that protection. And he says, so it's got that, that, and then when you get to the glorification, uh, in verse 11, it says, somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's the glory of God. That's that thing that we're here for. That's the thing that caused everything to do. Jesus going to Calvary and dying for our sins. But not only dying for our sins, but being rose again from the dead and coming back with all power in his hands. 
but not that having on his own. Paul recognizes that the salvation is not based upon human attainments. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how many letters you have behind your name, how much money you got in the bank, who you married, who you can get on the phone to get something done for you. It does not matter. All that matters is Jesus Christ. I, I am amazed at those people. We, we, are, we, are, we are enamored with success and successful people. But I am enamored with the things that we talk about and the things that we as a people rather are, are concerned about that those who are successful are by no means concerned about. I remember reading an article in the Source magazine and a rapper by the name of Willie D of the Ghetto Boys made a lot of money going around the world rapping. Made a lot of money, and I'm not knocking him for making money for rapping. But the article, when the, when the journalist followed him around that day, he went to go pick his kids up from a private school, and they got in the car. He didn't put on rap music for them to listen to. People all over the world, millions of fans concerned with rap music, but he's not. I saw a picture of Michael Jordan not too long ago. Billionaire. Has made more money after playing basketball than he did playing basketball. Is out here re-releasing the same shoes over and over again, and people are fighting for these shoes and paying and they'll buy them for $125 and sell them for $400. And I don't knock that. You know, I understand you buy stuff and you sell it for a profit, but here you have this multi-million dollar industry selling shoes. Michael Jordan in this picture was not wearing Jordans. Matter of fact, he was wearing a $20 pair of sneakers. We are enamored with that. But those who have attained something have given that up. What does that tell you? Russell Simmons, one of the founders of the rap group, I mean, a rap label rather, Def Jam, and many other things, has bought and sold Def Jam over and over again for hundreds and hundreds of, I mean, un, unimaginable amounts of money in my lifetime. Can't tell you, even though the money is made off of music, can't talk about how people can't tell you six months ago what the top songs were. They're not caught up in that. So if they're not caught up in all of that, and they have attained a whole lot about it, why should we be caught up in that? We ought to be able to give things up for the pursuit of Christ. I am reminded of uh, my line brother by the name of Brandon Brooks. Uh, as you know, some of you may know, I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And while I was joining it, you refer to your line brother as the people that you come in with at the same time. There were eight of us on this line. And Brandon was number eight. And Brandon Brooks was the starting right guard for the Houston Texans. And as he was a starting right guard for the Houston Texans, he... he uh, 
he was extremely focused. See, in order for us to, during this pledge period, we had to learn a lot of different information. And so what would happen is one day they would teach it to us, and the next day we'd go over somebody's house so that we could study our lessons and get them right. And so every now and then we'd meet at Brandon Book's house, starting right guard for the Houston Texans. And, you know, we'd spend, I don't know, four or five, maybe six hours trying to study all this information and get it right so that we'd be able to recite it upon command. And you get hungry meeting for five, six hours at a time. You go to Brandon Brooks' house, open up the refrigerator, and it's empty. And I don't mean empty as in you look in there and you don't know what to get empty. I mean empty. (laughs) A light. You open up the cupboards to look for some food there. Empty. And so we had to have a conversation about this, about the third time coming over here. Brandon, where is the food? Brandon's response was, Brandon needed to cut weight. Brandon was 6'5", and when he reported to camp, probably about close to 400 pounds. And he needed to be a lot less than that. See, Brandon was drafted by the Houston Texans. Brandon worked his way onto the team. And then after he worked his way onto the team, he worked his way into a starting position. And in order to keep his starting position, he needed to cut weight. He needed to get under the weight. And so in order to get under the weight, he sacrificed by not keeping food in his house because he said, if there was food in my house, I would have late night snacks. I would go get the food. And so this is the way I controlled my meals. He pressed on. He was focused. He gave up the creature comfort of being able to walk to the refrigerator and get food whenever you thought about it in order to stay focused on being a professional football player. There were certain days we could not talk to Brandon, even in the offseason. Why? Because Brandon was working out. I can't talk to you between this time and this time because I need to go on a run. I can't talk to you between this time and this time because I have to go to the facility and train. I can't talk. So we worked around Brandon's schedule. And so Brandon, because he was focused, because he made those sacrifices, because he focused on what he was doing and pressed on about what towards his goal, Brandon had a very excellent year. And because he had a very excellent year, I hate to see him go, but I am happy for him. He signed a fat contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't understand why the Texans couldn't. Let me get off that. But we seem to let good people go and pick up trash. Mm. But the point is, Brandon, (laughs) Brandon pressed towards his goal. He was focused enough. He was willing to do what other people weren't willing to do. When you think about that, there are a bunch of people that would have said, no, I'm going to keep food. I'm going to eat the way I want to eat. I'm not going to cut that weight. I'm not going to spend the time in the gym. I'm not going to spend the time watching the film. But Brandon did it. We have to press towards the mark, and that's what Paul is talking about in here when he's talking about pressing on and straining on. 
is focused is athlete talk. And not that he had already obtained his goal. Brandon very well could have said, I'm an NFL player. I have arrived. I have made it where I need to go. And because I have made it where I need to go, I don't need to work any harder. And Brandon very well could have been looking for another job if that, and not in the NFL had he not taken that appeal. But if he can take that kind of approach towards it, if all of these people that I mentioned are willing to give up whatever it is that they've obtained in order to focus on other things, how much more so should we be able to focus on, other th- focus on Jesus? How much better should we be able to let the other things go and keep going forward? One thing I've learned about running track when he says press towards the mark, when, uh, when he says not that I've already tamed my goal, but I'll press on and take hold of that which is for me. And then going on to say the forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead in the text used to run track. The worst thing you can do when you are running track is look behind. You can get into the whole science of your body turning backwards, but what it basically means is if your mind is on what's behind you, what's behind you is going to catch you. And if your mind is on what's behind you, when what's behind you comes back to catch you, it's going to take you. So when you run, you run forward. You look straight ahead and keep pressing on. Not worrying about what's behind you because if you're always worried about what's behind you, you're going to be behind. If you're always doing the same things that you've always done, you're going to get the same result that you've always gotten. We have to press forward. Yeah, he says in the text in Romans 1 and 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for sal- to salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Greek. And then it goes on to say, but the righteousness of God. Later on in the text, Romans 3, I'm at, for the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to all and all who believe. For as there is no difference, for all have have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth by the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier in those who has faith in Jesus. We have to press towards Because Jesus didn't stop pressing towards. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't stop for us. So why would we stop for him? Uh, We have to continue to press on. We have to be willing to give up other things that other people might not be willing to give up. But if you give up those things that other people aren't willing to give up, you'll be able to get those things that other people aren't willing to get. Mm. Uh, We have to press towards That means we may have to keep praying a little longer. Mm -hmm. We might have to fight and press towards for our marriage. We might have to fight and press towards for our finances. We might have to fight and press towards our children. We might have to fight and press towards our education. We can't just leave it on the side. We have to keep going. Pray till your voice is hoarse sometimes. Mm -hmm. Stay on your knees until they hurt sometimes. For we press towards the mark of the high calling. It's a high calling. That means it's going to take a lot to get to it. We have to press forward. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but in much prayer and supplication. 
be anxious for nothing, but in much prayer and supplication. Be anxious for nothing, but in much prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to Christ Jesus. That means you got to spend some time pressing towards it. If it was easy, everybody could get it. If it was easy, everybody wouldn't be saying, I think I can. They'd be saying, I already did it. But you haven't already did it. That's why you keep pressing. It's not a one time off and keep it moving. Ah, the Bible says when the enemy comes in against us, like a flood, we raise up a standard against us. Uh, them, ah, there's a little bit of grammatical misplacing in that. See, we, we think that the enemy is coming in like a flood. No, no, no. When the enemy comes against us, comma, like a flood, we raise up the standard against them. We're supposed to be on the offensive, not just sit back and take it. Meek means to be restrained, but you don't lose that power. You still have that power. You just come on the offensive. You press towards the mark. You press forward. You look ahead and you keep going and you don't stop until you get it. Ah, the Bible, Jesus said, he told Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've again misinterpreted that as we are on the defensive. When have you ever seen a gate attack? Hmm. Gates don't attack. You attack the gate. So when the gates of hell are not prevail, we are on the offensive against the gates of hell. We press towards the mark and we get our new goal and that new goal is Jesus. Jesus pressed on. Pressed on through 42 generations. He pressed on. Pressed on from Nazareth. Pressed on. Pressed on from Galilee. And they asked, could anything good come from Galilee? He didn't let where he was from stop him. He pressed on. He pressed on to heal the sick. He pressed on to raise the dead. He pressed on to open up blinded eyes. He pressed on to, to heal the afflicted and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He pressed on. He pressed on when he was accused of blasphemy. He pressed on when he was brought before the courts. He pressed on all the way to Calvary. He pressed on on the cross. He pressed on when he ascended, descended into the gates of hell and took the keys. He pressed on on the third day when he rose again. He didn't give up. That's love. That's a love that won't quit. For God so loved. That's a lot of love. We look at that sacrifice on the cross and understand that that sacrifice came because he loved us. He loved us in spite of ourselves. He loved us even though we didn't deserve it. He loved us all the way to Calvary. And he loved us when he got up again. And he still loves us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to keep working. We can't just be satisfied with where we're at. Keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling. Keep pressing towards Jesus. Keep pressing in your relationships with God. Keep pressing into his word. Keep pressing into, into his presence. Keep pressing through with prayer. Keep pressing through with loving one another. 
Keep pressing through with loving on your family. Keep pressing through on everything that we do. Work as if it's for God and not for somebody else. That's the only judge that matters. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.